Good morning. Hey, that's the first time I've seen that video. There's a bunch of you in there. Congratulations if you made it in the video for this series. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you. If we've never met before, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at Faith Community Church. And as you can see, we're beginning a brand new teaching series this morning called Made for This Moment. Before we jump into that, I was just made aware in the last 45 minutes of uh, war in Israel this morning. I didn't know about that. I'd seen in my news feed something was going on. I thought, oh, they're shooting rockets at each other, more of the same. But it sounds like this is more serious. So as a church, uh, let's just take some time to pray right now. Is that okay if we do that? Let's pray today. God in heaven, we uh, worship you because you are sovereign and good and wise. And so it's with great hope that we bring before you uh, the situation in Israel this morning. Clearly, I don't even know everything that's happening, uh, but it sounds significant. And so, God, we appeal to you. We appeal to the Lord of heaven. Uh, would you have mercy in this situation? Protect life today. We ask that you would give wisdom and discernment to leaders that are involved in this. And God, that you would, as always, we're asking you would strengthen the church in Israel and in Palestine in the midst of this. We know there are believers there. So God, would you give their pastors and leaders and their people all that they need this morning. It's just incredible to think, you know, that this is Sunday morning. They've gathered for worship as they can. I wonder what they're praying for. God, would you help us to pray accordingly? We continue to bring before you the church in Ukraine and in Ethiopia and Myanmar and all these other places that are troubled by war. God, have mercy. We ask that your will would be done in this and every situation. In Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. All right. Well, here at Faith Community Church, we have a saying or sayings, I suppose, that the church was made for moments like the one that we live in today. And these moments were made for us. We were made for moments like this, and these moments were made for us. And what we mean by that is in places like Acts chapter 17, for example, Scripture teaches that God is the one who appoints the time and place in which we'll live. He appoints the generation in which we'll be born. He has purpose for doing all of this. And within the sovereign purpose of God, our decisions matter and our lives matter, but nothing happens randomly or by accident. The book of Revelation, for example, features a scene where we see the Lord Jesus unfolding the scroll of history. Uh, and it's a clear indication that Jesus is the one sovereignly superintending all the big and small events of our world. And central to his purpose is this thing called the church. Now, I know that that statement is hard to believe today. We live in a time when even Christians really don't think that much about the church or embarrassed by the church. The church, especially in our context today, seems to be engulfed by scandal after scandal and beset by moral failure and the failure of its leaders. 
and known more for spiritual weakness than spiritual strength. I'm sorry for that. But I want to say this morning, be careful, everyone. Be careful how you judge. The reality is that while the church in one part of the world may struggle for a season, it is being strengthened and built up and experiencing a tremendous outpouring of God's spirit in another. The reality is that while one generation of the church may need to be disciplined and changed by Jesus, the next generation will experience a harvest that that one could hardly ever imagine. Exactly. It's right there. <laughs> so before you wash your hands of the church, remember in the, in the broad sweep of history, the church is still relatively young. When you think about how many thousands of years stretch between Adam and Eve and the coming of the Lord, Abraham and Sarah and the coming of the Lord, we're pretty young. It may be that future generations look back on the 21st century church and talk about us as the early church, okay? So be careful how you judge. One pastor writes this, he says, the assembly of the redeemed, the company of the saints, the children of God, are more significant in world history than any other group, movement, or nation. The United States compares to the church of Jesus like a speck of dust compares to the sun. The drama of international relations compares with the mission of the church like a kindergarten riddle compares with Hamlet or King Lear. And all the pomp and glory of our empires fade to a formless gray against the splendor of the bride of Jesus. Paul's letter to the Ephesians uh, calls the church the fullness of Jesus. Think about that. The church is the fullness of Jesus who fills all in all. I don't even know what that means exactly, but it sounds awesome. He goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 3 that the church is the means by which the manifold wisdom of God is being made known to spiritual powers and authorities in the heavenly places. Not because we're doing so great right now, but because they can see the whole picture. They know where all of this is going. And I know this is hard to believe today, but uh, Kevin's already alluded to this this morning. Zach talked about it already this morning. Jesus has promised that the powers of hell and the decay of time and the power of death will overcome every institution, every nation, every movement except one. And it's the church that you're sitting in right now. I can imagine Jesus 2,000 years ago with this ragtag bunch of blue-collar followers standing on a mountain in the, in the backwater province of Rome called Palestine, saying to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and throughout all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay, everybody in. Ready? One, two, three. Break. Matthew's gospel says, and some of them doubted. Yeah. Yeah. yeah here we are. 2,000 years later on the other side of the world. Joining our voices with hundreds of millions of others this morning in a thousand languages, lifting up the name of King Jesus. So be careful how you judge. 
Between now and Advent, we're going to be talking about what it means when we say that we were made for this moment. This is the time and place that God has assigned to us, the Faith Community Church. What does it mean that, that this is what we were made for? Every church and every place shares basically the same mission, okay? Whatever they put on the website, we're all basically trying to do the same thing, okay? Make disciples of Jesus, et cetera, et cetera. But every church will also have its unique personality and its own unique challenges. And we're gonna talk about those this, this fall as we prepare for Advent, okay? So to get us started today, let me invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter nine. Matthew chapter nine, that'll be on page 814 in a Bible under the chairs in front of you. Uh, a quick uh, apology. If you have the sermon notes this morning, you'll see that I have listed there Matthew chapter nine, and Mark chapter six. I don't know why I thought that was gonna work, but I just bit off way more than I could chew. And there's gonna be plenty for us just in Matthew chapter nine. Okay, by the way, anytime you see a discrepancy between what we publish and then what I do, it's my fault, okay? And we're all okay. You're fine, I'm fine, we're all gonna be fine. Matthew chapter nine. This is a special scripture for me personally because, little Tim Prince trivia, 11 years ago this month, it may even be this week, my very, very, very first sermon at Faith Community Church was, yeah, I know, was from this scripture that we're going to read right now. You remember it. You were there. It's so good. <laughs> Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35. Okay, is everybody there? Just a reminder, if you're brand new to the Bible, the chapters are the big numbers, verses are the little numbers. Matthew 9, 35. It says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So these verses are interesting because they come at a hinge point in Jesus' ministry with the disciples. Up to this point in the story of Matthew, Jesus has been leading a sort of itinerant, roaming megachurch throughout the country of Galilee. Verse 35 says that he went throughout all the cities and villages in Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Mark's gospel adds that sometimes the crowds were so big he couldn't even get into the city but would have to stay outside of town. To give you some idea what this looked like, uh, a contemporary Jewish historian named Josephus tells us that there were 204 cities in Galilee with 15,000 or more people in them. Okay, 204 cities the size of Hudson or larger. So even if he traveled to two cities a day, which would be a lot in my mind, even if he traveled to two cities a day to preach and to heal, we're talking about a grueling five or six month uh, missionary excursion by Jesus and his followers. What we get in the Gospels is just the highlight reel. Okay, you, you have to imagine that these disciples heard the parables of Jesus and heard the Sermon on the Mount literally a hundred times. 
uh, and that they saw literally hundreds, perhaps thousands of people healed by Jesus. And interestingly enough, by the way, no ancient source ever denies that those things happened. So this is how Jesus trained his disciples for ministry. And what we get in the, in the actual gospel accounts are just the stories that stood out to them for some reason and helped move the story they were telling along. Well, what happens now in the gospel of Matthew, and you can see this if you just look down the page, is that Jesus' whole approach is about to change. You can see at the start of chapter 10 that this is where he appointed 12 of his disciples to be apostles. Okay, so the, that, that is his official authoritative, our word is literally the word of Jesus representatives, and then he sends them out with authority to do all the things he's been doing and to teach the way that he's been teaching, but instead of just Galilee, he sends them out from one end of Israel to the other. Okay, and then if we, if we were to keep reading, he sends out a group of 72 later, so the circle is just growing and growing and growing. Anyway, as this transition takes place, Matthew pauses for four verses to give us an open window into the heart and the mind of Jesus as he prepares, basically, to launch the church movement, to turn his message and his activity over to people and to say, I'm giving you authority now to do all the things that I've done. Here's, what is, here's what's on his heart and his mind. This is what we, we mean in part when we say the church was made for this moment. Verse 36, it says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were, like, they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Okay, just a, a couple of things about that Greek word there that we translate compassion. Okay. In the New Testament, this word is only used to describe Jesus or it's used in his teaching. So it's uniquely associated with Jesus and it's expressive of the deepest possible human emotion. Uh, it's much, much more than pity. It's way beyond sympathy. What, it's, a, uh, it's literally a yearning of the bowels, an emotion that rises from the gut. Uh, if you have ever had a prodigal child who's beyond your reach and in danger and you can't eat and you can't sleep and you're heartbroken, then you know something of what Jesus felt as he moved from place to place throughout Galilee. And this was characteristic of this whole season of ministry that he led them through. Charles Spurgeon said this about these verses. He said, if you would sum up the whole character of Jesus in reference to ourselves, it may be gathered into this sentence. He was moved with compassion. And for some of you today, this is the only thing you need to hear today. This is the only thing you need to reflect on today. Some of you may still be wondering what Jesus really thinks when he sees you. When he takes in all that you've done and all that you've become, you may be wondering to yourself, what does he think? Please see in God's word 
the answer, that whatever it is you've done, whatever has been done to you, whatever state you're in today, when he sees you, he sees sheep without a shepherd. And he is moved with compassion. He wants you to come home. He's looking for you. I don't get to say that today on the basis of one or two verses plucked out of context in Matthew. I would encourage you, if you're just investigating Jesus today, you're just trying to figure this out, a friend invited you today, go home this week. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Notice in his parables and in his teaching and in the way he interacted with people, you're gonna see two things. One, an urgent sense of warning. And you need to hear that first today. You're going to hear an urgent sense of warning and you're going to see this tremendous compassion that draws him out to people who are lost. Now for all of us this morning, if you're wondering what Jesus sees when he looks out over the St. Croix Valley or over our world, if you're wondering what he thinks or feels, here it is. He sees sheep without a shepherd and he's moved. And that is a tremendous challenge for the church today. Here's what not to do with this today. Is everybody ready for what not to do? Please do not go home and say to yourself, I wanna feel that way too. I want to have compassion like Jesus. That would be a good place to start, by the way. But don't go home then and try to, to, to get this heartbreak worked up inside of you. Uh, remember, godly emotion or godly feeling or sentiment that actually endures, okay, that will actually work and change us, begins, it always follows the truth. Uh, godly feelings follow facts is one, another way to say it, or or. A change of heart always follows a change of mind. And so the actual question we need to ask is, well, why was Jesus so moved? Why was he so stirred up? And the, of course, the answer is there in verse 36. Because he saw they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And I'll just say for me this week, and because I think we're not that different, I'm gonna go ahead and say I think for you, Faith Community Church, this is the point of greatest repentance and prayer and reflection. What produced this gut-churning compassion in Jesus is the way he saw them, sheep without a shepherd. Now, that phrase has roots that run really deep into the story of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, especially the prophets, one of the signals that the Messiah had finally come is that he would come as a shepherd to sheep. In Ezekiel chapter 34, for example, you just write Ezekiel 34 in your margin if you want to read it this week. God says to Israel that he's going to send a man, the son of David, who will come and shepherd his people Israel. And then a few verses later, God says that he himself will come and shepherd his, his people. It's one of those pre-gospel head scratchers, you know, that's just kind of left hanging out there. So the way that Jesus sees things is actually a mark of his messiahship and his compassion is the same way. I went through this week and looked at every verse from Genesis to Revelation that talk about the compassion of God. And here's the big picture, okay? 
There is a time for wrath and judgment. There's a time for wrath and judgment. Israel experienced that in their exile, and it's a preview of the judgment of God that is coming. But, there's, but here's another mark of the Messiah, that when he comes, it will be compassion. The, the way Israel would know that their king had finally come is that he would come like a shepherd to sheep, and be filled with compassion. Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, this, his coming, this is the year of the Lord's favor. 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, behold, now is the favorable time, now is the day of salvation. We read in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Because, so this gut-wrenching, pursuing shepherd after his sheep, this is one of the signs Jesus is more than a teacher, more than a healer. This is the divine shepherd. And what he sees when he looks out across the world are sheep harassed and helpless without a shepherd. And so for those of us, uh, I would say, with, and I, this is pretty much everyone in the world, you know, everyone has this strong moral, spiritual concern in one direction or another. And we see people doing things that cross all of these boundaries or cross all these lines for us. And we treat them or we re respond to them as the enemy. I don't know if you are aware, maybe you've never heard this before, but the United States is in the midst of a culture war. Have, maybe you didn't know that. Uh, but it's real. Uh, we're a church caught in the midst of a culture war. And it is so easy. I, I, I'll, I'll just say, Jesus entered a place full of culture war. The church took root in an empire in the midst of culture war. So this is not new, but it is so easy, and I'm speaking for myself now, to see people who do not think about the world the way that we do as the enemy, rather than primarily sheep without a shepherd. So this is what I did this week, and I, this is what I'm going to ask you to do as well. When you come across things like this and you say, okay, I'm not really sure what he's, what's happening, I want you to say, Lord, teach me your way. Help me understand what I'm not understanding now. And, and if there's any way in me that is out of line with your word, would you show me? Okay, you're all going to do that this week. Did everybody get that? Slap your neighbor awake. And then I want you to buckle up. So that's what I did this week. I'm not going to share all the stories with you, but I had a few encounters this week where my own self-righteousness, my own sense of being right was exposed to me. Not, and I, not even that I was wrong, but you know, it's possible to be right in a self-righteous way. And if we're going to see people as sheep without a shepherd first, we're going to have to acknowledge that and repent. Otherwise, we'll never be able to function in this generation the way that God has called us to function. The compassion of Jesus is not naive. Okay, the, the compassion of Jesus does not deny that enemies are real. Read the Psalms sometime. It doesn't deny that there are wolves who really do hurt people. It doesn't deny the reality of evil. What it does mean 
is that those are not the first things that people, that God, that Jesus sees in people. It means that Jesus understands none of those external things are the root issue. I've just decided I'm gonna share one story with you, okay? And you're not gonna judge me. But I can see that I, I just wanna to try to help you understand what I'm talking about. So I'm at the dinner table this week and my high schooler tells me a story about a student in class who responded to a teacher with like just public, demeaning, humiliating disrespect. For me, that's a, that's a button. I don't like push. I don't like to disrespect people in authority. And so for 15 minutes, I go off the rails in my mind. And I'm beginning to fantasize, tell me if you've never done this. If I were a teacher, what would I do? Do you think a teacher loses their job if they throw a student's backpack off a second story balcony? Is that wrong? If you flip a desk over and the student is still in the desk, do the police get called about that at the high school? Because you could do that in my high school and you'd be fine. How many profanities can a Christian teacher use before the elders of his church get involved? You know, those are the kinds of questions I'm starting to process, okay? And, you know, it, it hits me. You are being a self-righteous, sinful person pastor. It may be that some students need their backpack thrown off a second story ledge. But there's a way to do that where you understand them to be sheep without a shepherd before anything else. And a way to do that that just says, I'm right and I'm angry and I'm going to get my way. Do you understand what I'm talking about now? I won't tell you the other stories because they're worse than that. Sometime in the last year or two, a movie was released called The Jesus Revolution. Has anyone seen The Jesus Revolution? I'll go ahead and recommend it. It's about this incredible movement of God among hippies in the 1970s. If you can believe it, it reached all the way to UW-River Falls. I've heard stories about gobs of hippies in the 1970s coming to faith in Jesus, even in River Falls. Well, there's this great scene where one of the main characters, a guy named Lonnie Frisbee, is talking to this straight-laced pastor named Chuck Smith, and he says to him, uh, I know we must seem pretty strange, but if you look a little deeper, if you look with love, you'll see a bunch of kids that are searching for all the right things just in all the wrong places. So to answer your question, how do I describe my people? They're sheep without a shepherd, chasing hard after lies. And the trouble is, your people reject them. So I ask you, Pastor, how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? We can only walk through doors open to us, and your church, well, that's a door that's shut. It's actually quite instructive, I think, in light of our reading today. The compassion of Jesus is not naive. It just looks deeper. Beyond the apparent rebellion and foolishness and confusion and pain, it sees these external things as people trying to find a shepherd. They're trying to make their lives work. And the shepherds that they're following aren't working. I think that, you know, so not, this isn't scripture now, I'm just, these are my observations, my thoughts about Faith Community Church. You can disregard these, if it's totally fine. I think that what we do at Faith Community Church really well is we have tremendous compassion for people who are hurting. If your house burns down in Hudson, we have got you covered, right? 
We have tremendous compassion for each other, I would say, especially when we're hurting, and at least in principle, compassion, you know, for unreached people. Like, I think what Zach and Angie are doing and our other global partners are doing, for us, that's like some of the best money we spend, okay? I'm gonna go ahead and say, though, I'm speaking for myself, and I, I think for most of us, for people on the other side of this culture war, compassion isn't always the first response. Seeing them as sheep without a shepherd is not always our first response. I had a couple of elders put it to me this way this week. They said, we just have no idea. We have no idea how far the compassion of Jesus goes. Not just to those who love him or those who are hurting, but even to those who hated him. That's, that's the thing that separates, I mean, the kind of church we long to be from where we're at now is that his compassion goes even to those who hate him. He sees them and is moved because he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. How else would you explain the prayer, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing as nails are driven into his hands and feet? He's not naive about evil. He's not naive about how dangerous things can be. Last thing in this reading is that sheep without a shepherd isn't the only thing that Jesus sees when he looks out over the crowd. He also sees a harvest. Okay, so this gut-churning, urgent love of Jesus never veers into despair or hopelessness as some compassion can, but it's always full of anticipation and hope. He knows what his word can do. He knows that he can raise the dead, and he knows that among the crowds are some Saul's who will become Paul's, and he's filled with anticipation. It's just another great word for the church today. The fields really are ripe. When we say the church is made for moments like this, part of what we're also trying to remind ourselves of is that the church was born into a world like this one. The church was born into a world full of gods, all kinds of different gods, and false shepherds making all kinds of promises to people they couldn't deliver on. The, the church was born into a world with very little social capital, no social capital, no access to the levers of power. The church was born into a world full of moral and spiritual confusion. So again, where we might be tempted to look out over the place we've been assigned to and despair, Jesus sees a ready harvest for anyone ready to just get out there with the word of God. So where we, are, where we may be tempted to see, you know, the world around us going to hell in a handbasket, we need to look with eyes of hope, eyes like Jesus. And so he says, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. And that line, I think, is the most surprising. So, so seeing the world the way that Jesus does, I think, is the most challenging. Uh, this last verse, to me, is the most surprising. I just think if it were me, okay, if I were Jesus, and I saw things this way, and I am just churning, I'm just longing for people to know the word of God and see people, I just, I think I would have come up with, I don't know what I would have come up, I, I thought about it this week, I don't know what I would do, 
But this does not strike me as a good plan. <laughs> to take people, disciples, with all kinds of their own issues, and to entrust the mission to them and then send them out. But here we see this principle that's all throughout the word of God that there are certain things God just will not do except through his people. His purpose isn't just for the crowds. He's trying to raise children. He's trying to make the church mature and godly and wise and Christ-like. And one of the ways that he does that is to, first of all, to bring us along with him and then to send us out into the harvest. And there are a lot of things we're not gonna learn until we join him in that. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Laborers are not quite the same thing as a volunteer. A volunteer can be drummed up in an hour with a great speech and some vision. Laborers need to be called by the Lord of the harvest. Uh, laborers uh, need to uh, be equipped by the Lord of the harvest. When my dad would send me out on the farm to work, he would always give me the tools that I need. Okay, so we need to be equipped by the Lord of the harvest. And laborers may not feel like experts, but they, they trust God. They're, they understand they're in this process where God is maturing them and growing them up. And laborers share the heart and the hope and the vision of Jesus. Several weeks ago, I'll just share a couple of stories but real quick. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking with a friend here who's an Awana leader. And this is, like the, this is the week after the Awana kickoff. And he said, I, I've been an Awana leader for five years. I have never seen it like this before. There's just kids everywhere. I, we have, I don't know the numbers. I'm never going to try everybody, okay? One million kids came to Awana. It was fabulous. And he said, uh, he said, we need help. And another guy at the table said, that is so interesting. I just said to my wife this week, I think the Lord wants me to be an Awana leader. Do you think that's crazy? And my other friend said, that is not crazy. <laughs> that's the Lord talking to you and you need to so, say, yeah. So I was curious. I, I came that week. I dropped my oldest off at the high school ministry and I just wanted to walk the hall, see what was going on. I ran into one of the key Awana leaders, like the number two or number three in command or something like that. I said, how's it going? And he had the same kind of like, well, this is crazy. Kind <laughs> of look on his face. And I said, do you have everything you need? And I loved his response. He said, quote, well, I just figure if God brought the kids here, then God will provide what we need. And I just want to give him a big hug. So that is exactly it. That's the attitude of a laborer who sees the harvest and says, well, if this is what the Lord of the harvest is doing, he'll provide what we need. I, I feel like I had this conversation with a pastor recently. It feels like at Faith Community Church right now, all of our ministries are humming along like that. Every ministry leader I talk to, it's, it's all right here. Like, there's a lot going on. God is just bringing a lot of people right now. We're, we're grateful for that. But we don't know how to... We don't have the, the resources to meet the need. And I'm not talking about just bodies. I'm just saying the spiritual resources. I'm saying people are coming who are hurting and we don't have an answer. And we're just praying, God, would you help? Would you minister? Would you fill us with your spirit? Would you teach us how to do this stuff? I just think that is gorgeous. 
That is exactly the attitude of laborers who are in the midst of the harvest. So my invitation to all of you, same thing. You wanna know the power of God in a new way? Join the Lord of the harvest. Say yes to his work. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. That is true in Hudson right now. But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. I just think this is a great challenge for us. And I don't want you to go home today and get yourself all whipped up. Get yourself all heartbroken. That's not gonna work. Go home and ask the Lord to teach you to start seeing everyone as sheep without a shepherd and let him do the rest. In Revelation chapter 22, it says, to the one who can hear, we say come. To the one who's thirsty, come. To the one who desires, take the water of life freely. We say here at Faith Community Church, through the Spirit's power and leading, we want to display Jesus' attractive, welcoming, and reconciling presence in Christ-centered community. There's, there's one more scene in that movie. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with this. I promise we're wrapping up. Aren't you glad we didn't try to do Mark 6 today as well? There's one more scene uh, in that movie, Jesus' Revolution, where Chuck Smith is speaking to a room full of hippies. And he says to them, this place is yours. If you feel like you're misunderstood and judged, this is where you belong. If you feel ashamed or trapped in something you've done or are doing, you'll find forgiveness and freedom right here. And I just, what, what would it be like to be able to say that with integrity in every missional community, in every ministry at Faith Community Church? If you're walking around feeling judged or ashamed or trapped, you'll find forgiveness and freedom right here. We're gonna pray in just a moment, but after we pray, we're gonna sing a song together. It's pretty new. I think we've only sung it one time together, but it's called More Than Able, and it's also a prayer. So I'm gonna invite you to pray with me, and then we're gonna stand, and we're gonna continue praying as we sing, just asking God, would you do more than we could ask or imagine here in our midst at Faith Community Church. So let let me pray for us together, and then we'll pray as we sing. Father in heaven, I don't know if any of this made sense today, and I will need, I'm asking you to teach. God, would you lay it on our hearts to see people as sheep without shepherds? Would you show us this week places where that's not the case? Would you, would you provide laborers for the harvest? We ask this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand and we'll continue praying in song.